0: God's call on parents to disciple their children is well established throughout the Bible, perhaps nowhere more clearly than in Deuteronomy 6-7, where God exhorts his people to teach his word to children diligently when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In our interview today, I'm talking with Jared Kennedy. Jared serves as an editor for the Gospel Coalition, is the co-founder of the ministry Gospel-Centered Family, and is the author of Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission, Practical Strategies for Discipling the Next Generation from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Jared, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway podcast. It's so good to be here. Uh, So we're going to talk today about uh, children and how to disciple them, uh, both uh, parents, uh, but also thinking about the church's role in how we as parents are to disciple and train up our children. Um, in your book, you tell the conver- the deconversion story of two people, Rhett McLaughlin and Link Neal, and they are the hosts of the extremely popular, I actually checked this morning, uh, seven over 17 million subscribers on YouTube uh, of this channel called Good Mythical Morning. Some of our listeners might be familiar with that. They, they create these kind of funny videos that are generally historically family-friendly and uh, they, they very notably claimed to be Christians for a long time and, and drew a, a strong Christian base. But you tell a little bit of the story of their deconversion. I wonder if you could just share a little bit about uh, what happened there and uh, the impact that you saw that in particular have on Christian families.
1: Yeah, Red Link were part of a large college ministry. Um, they were known even in uh, the children's and parenting world. They, they created videos for kids about the Bible. I think my daughters have their song uh, that helps you memorize all of the judges in the book of Judges. Oh, so they actually were creating Christian-specific
0: kind of content. They were creating
1: Christian-specific content Mm. in affiliation with Phil Vischer, and um, who, this was after Veggie Tales, but but creating Christian-specific content. Mm. And so, um, yeah, and I I think as uh, Rhett tells the story, they um, began to question first of all the Bible's teaching about uh judgment uh, and judgment of the lost who haven't heard mm. the gospel. yeah uh, then began to ask questions about Christianity and science and began to ask questions about uh, matters of sexuality yeah and and slowly but surely walked away um, from the Christian faith and those in college ministry world that had served with them, uh, were really floored by this. And I think a lot of kids um, in student ministry were, mm. were uh, when I say student ministry, high school ministry, <laughs> were, were taken back yeah. by this as well. So Alyssa Childers uh, wrote for us at uh, the Gospel Coalition um, kind of reflecting on that mm. and uh, she's an apologist who who writes some online, and she um, yeah. she had youth pastors and parents contacting her saying, "This has really like like hurt my my son or daughter." Yeah, why why has, is that? Do you think? Well, I think that's you know, my granddad. Um, I can think back to going to my grandparents' house, and my granddad had his morning routine mm-hmm. every morning. He would. Uh, put his slippers on, uh, kind of come down the hallway, uh, walk outside, get the morning newspaper, um, and he would sit at the the dining room table there and open the newspaper and read through the news as mm-hmm. he drank his coffee and and ate his breakfast. Um, my grandmother had Spurgeon open at the same time, <laughs> so my, my grandfather that was like, tra- a couple awesome people. <laughs> yeah. But um, I I think. It was just a matter of habit for him. That's the way he lived his life. He was, he was opening up the morning news every day. And I think a lot of kids um, in Generation Z and Generation Y, uh, their morning habit is to pull open their phones and go to YouTube mm. and to watch those videos. And what happens, whether you're reading the news every day or you're reading Spurgeon every day or, or you know you're opening YouTube every day, is that the habits we have in our life form our affections. Mm. And, and so I, th- I think there are a number of kids, it, Rhett and Link's content was like clean and family friendly. And yeah. so it, you know, parents even who had policed their kids viewing content and, and thought, okay, this, if they're going to watch a video, this is probably one of the better ones to watch. Mm. Um, had still built what they felt like was a relationship from a distance uh, with these two guys. Yeah. And so when they began to deconvert, when they began to step away uh, from the faith, um, it became a real stumbling block for mm. for a lot of students. Yeah, and, and their story fits so kind of cleanly into
0: this pattern that it seems like we see more and more today of people who uh, at one point claimed the Christian faith and even had a, a A place of prominence and influence uh, as Christians explicitly who then deconvert or deconstruct their faith in some public way and then that can be pretty unsettling and and, uh, maybe cause a lot of uh, questions to arise especially in young people who have followed them online for for some time. You refer to that this generation as the YouTube generation. Uh, Can you explain more like what are the characteristics of the YouTube generation?
1: Yeah I I think they're are a number of things mm. I think being shaped um, by outside influences um, mm. because they're the most screen-saturated generation mm. we've had in a while. I don't have a statistic in in front of me. Yeah. But I think one of the marks of Generation Z is that historically sort of um, drift toward uh, maybe anti-Christian sentiment or uh, drift toward... Uh, uh, sexual identities that are opposed to the scripture was something we primarily saw in urban areas. And so what's happened with this generation is so much of what's happening in, in Hollywood and elsewhere is mm-hmm. is online. And so both in urban areas and in rural areas, uh, yeah. kids are exposed to these kinds of things at, at younger
0: ages. Yeah. The and internet s- has just made all of that stuff that might have been isolated, as you said, to certain kinds of areas or pockets of yeah. the country, it's made it accessible to any kid anywhere.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's absolutely right. And so, I, you know, my approach, I don't think that, um, and I, when I say my approach, I, I don't think the Bible's approach is to just totally withdraw from that. Um, I think there are certainly places for for us to think about the kind of friends our, our kids are hanging out with, think about the kind of content they're watching, think about the the kind of environments that are shaping mm. their worldview. So those things are essential uh, for parents. Um, but I want to be able to watch a Marvel movie with my daughters and and talk about both the things that are contrary to Christianity mm. and, and think about the themes there that um, maybe highlight great character or, um, or maybe even windows to ways we see, uh, the story of the gospel or the longing people have for a story like the gospel, Mm. um, in our culture as well. Um, I, I think the, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think with Red Link, you think about the arguments they kind of put forward for leaving Christianity aren't new. Mm. The kinds of things they were talking about are things that have been around for years and yeah. years. Yeah, their objections to Christianity. Yeah, and you can buy a book by C.S. Lewis or Tim Keller and, and you know, see, yeah. like, arguments against the arguments they're making. Yeah. Um, I think what parents really need to be aware of though is the way that um, the habit of going back mm-hmm. to these voices again and again forms affections yeah and and one of our responsibilities as parents but also as the church is to help form the thinking, uh, the affections um, mm-hmm. and the life of the next generation yeah and so that's where, um, Not so much just decrying what's out there in the world. We want to be clear about call sin, sin, but we want to, we want to have an intentionality about helping kids be formed in a better story than the story that's being told out in the world. And I want to get into that and explore what that looks like to kind of give them, as you said, this
0: kind of a better vision, a better story to be a part of and be uh, drawn into. Um, I wonder though, before we get into that, are there any other unique challenges that you think parents are facing today when it comes to discipling their kids that you would say are in some way unique to this generation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think, so we've talked about the culture and I think I would, the other challenge I think is one that is more unique to evangelical culture. And so I'd, I'd love to talk about the church mm. um, for just a moment, but um, i I think in the church in the um, especially in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s um, are we really leaned in to um, sort of if you talk to a youth pastor or a children's minister at that time in the church they would quote um, become all things to all people <laughs> and they were thinking very intentionally about and and this is a this is a Commendable thing. It's a missional impulse, and if you talked to me during that time, I would have said this too. (laughs) But um, it is is contextualization. Yeah, yeah. To to think about how to make youth ministry and children's ministry as contextual. Um, You would hear kid friendly and fun. Mm. Uh, You would say when a kid goes home from children's ministry, and a parent asks them like, "How was it? What do you want the kid to say?" And the answer that kids ministers would give. To you was not, here's what our Bible story about today, but mm. like I had fun today and I yeah. was loved. And I want to go back. And I want to go back. And and so I think we thought very intentionally about how to contextualize ministry for kids. And I think contextual ministry is a really a, a really important thing. Um, um you want to make it so it's not just entertainment for kids, but mm-hmm. also at you know, just shaping ministry for where kids are in their, their stages of development mm. and their learning. Uh, but I think what that created for parents was sometimes, a, a feeling that the youth pastor's really good at contextualizing the Bible for my students. The, and then if you're in a larger church, the children's minister's really great at making the Bible come alive for my kids. Um, I don't know that I Mm. can do that. And it creates sort of this almost, it's almost like the Reformation, right? Like a a clergy-laity divide where where the people in the pew feel like they don't have the capacity to train their kids in the faith. Yeah, I can't come up with... You know every week, uh,
0: two hours worth of really fun, exciting games that make a huge mess and you know have 30 kids involved. Like, it's hard to compete with the production of even a, a small church's youth program,
1: yeah. So, I think the tendency then for parents are like, I want to honor my kids' dignity, I, I want to celebrate how they're, they're um, unique creations in God's image, and so I want to. I want to build them up. I also recognize, because I live with them every day, that my kids are sinners. <laughs> and so I want to <laughs> call out their sin and correct their sin. Um, but if you stop the gospel at creation and fall and the implications of the creation and fall, and you don't go on mm. to redemption and, and consummation, it's a it's a truncated gospel. And I think sometimes moms and dads had the tendency to think um, sometimes in the family ministry world, we call it a drop off mentality. You know, I, t- I take my kids to softball, and the coach teaches them softball skills that I may not know as a parent. I take my kid to violin lessons, whether I played violin or not, that violin teacher can teach them mm-hmm. that. And I also take my kid to Sunday school because the minister there will teach my kid yeah. the faith, even even if I'm not equipped and prepared to do that. And I want to explore why parents might not be doing that, why they might not feel
0: equipped or prepared. But I guess I think we've many of us have heard that critique before of, of the way that some parents view children's ministry at a church or even their own role. I'm just curious, from your you know, over a decade of experience in children's ministry in a church, um, how common is that actually? Would you say that really is the mindset that is um, is it dominant? Is it just... Uh, 10% of parents, or is it is it, where, where
1: would you put it in there? I, I think there was a, that mentality was very strong mm. in the 90s and early 2000s. I think what happened in the early 2000s is number of crossway authors, <laughs> number, <laughs> of, number of people began to write about uh, the primary role of parents in discipleship of the next generation. And I think a number of parents now have heard that preached from the pulpit at their church, they've read about that in books. I actually think what happens now mm-hmm. is moms and dads are like I know it's my responsibility, but I have no idea what to do. Mm, yeah. And so um so I I think the first um I think the first answer to that yeah. is a theological answer. Um and that is just as Luther addressed the clergy, laity, divide, in the Reformation by teaching the priesthood of all believers. Um, I think we need to uh, encourage moms and dads to see just how equipped the Lord has made them already mm, in Christ. Interesting. Uh, we need to encourage them to see you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so press in. All of us, anything we start that's new, right, is, is hard and you figure it out. As you go along, you yeah. start a new job, you start, uh, you know, you drive a new car and it's weird. All the gadgets are weird and those yeah. kind of things, but it takes a little while to to learn how yeah. how to do it. But you've got to start. But to start. So, you know, pick up that Bible storybook or pick up, um, you know, that devotional and read through with your kids. Sing mm-hmm. a song in the car. I almost said put on a CD. So, which is showing my age. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, a CD, uh, most my kids
0: don't really even know what a CD is. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: Mine do, but they're older now. So, um, yeah, you know, good, flip to that Christian uh, uh, channel on your sh- on your streaming audio, and um, and then uh, and sing those songs together with mm. the with the family in the car, and recognize uh, because you have the Holy Spirit of God mm. living within you. Um, that as you obey the command to teach your kids, the Lord will empower you mm. to grow in that. And um, and so I, I, I think from the parents' perspective, we want to just really encourage them. And then I think from the church's perspective, I think sometimes we want to live either in a high production world um, where everything looks polished and beautiful, mm. which is not the world of allergy shots and broken arms and um, and soccer practice and running kids yeah. here and there in carpool that most parents live in. Yeah, and so I think when we equip parents, it's not that we want to water down the gospel, but we want to think about what are the kinds of tools we're giving them that actually fit the real life yeah. of most people in our church. And yeah. so. So bring those tools down in ways that are, um, you know, kind of flashcard things that you can tape up in your, in your car. Yeah, or you're thinking day to day about
0: the experience of living together in a home and, and how parents. Uh, so you've mentioned already yeah. the the concern of not knowing where to start, the, the stumbling block that parents might face there. I had a couple others I wanted to ask you about and sure. see how you would respond to. The second one would just be, my kids aren't interested. I've tried to do some kind of discipleship, intentional discipleship with my kids, and whether they're maybe they're young teens or they're middle, middle-aged teens, and they're just not interested in it. They, they, they're bored, they complain. What would you say to that parent? Have you ever
1: experienced anything like that? Absolutely. <laughs> my <laughs> kids are... 17 15 and 12 yeah. <laughs> and so we've definitely had seasons where they're just not into gathering for yeah. family devotions and I think the first thing I would say is do it anyway you know it's it's like when your kids are really young and one of them pulls the other's hair and that's uh, never happened in my house either really no. <laughs> <laughs> um and like they're just super angry with one another um and you tell you know the older daughter you need to apologize to your little sister and she says i don't want to mm. um well you need to you have to you know you you stay the course and mm. you say you do it do it anyway um i've heard folks say don't make a kid apologize if they don't feel it yeah um my response to that a kid will never feel it unless you make them <laughs> apologize mm. like yeah. like sometimes it's the habit of doing it that leads our affections uh sometimes it's our affection. it our affections very often Mm. lead our actions yeah but sometimes it's the habit of doing that action that actually leads our affections and creates uh the environment where the holy spirit can show up and and bring that life within us the goal is the affections we want
0: to get to that but it's not always you don't always just wait for the affections before you cultivate
1: the habit yeah, we actually believe, don't we, that it's preaching the word, um, the in the word and prayer, in the habit of, of bringing that to bear, um, that the Holy Spirit works to mm. make people alive. He mm. does that uh, through those means of grace. And so to think of them as, um, that's why it's called a spiritual discipline, yeah, you know, yeah. that, that this is not something you're always going to want to do um, any more than... I want to eat salad or go to the gym <laughs> you know this is it's not always something you want to do, but it is it's what's healthy for you and and even more so than uh, physical training has some value but godliness mm-hmm. has value above all things so even more so than than physical disciplines, spiritual disciplines are means by which uh, the Holy Spirit shows up and uh, by his grace empowers us to grow yeah and so um I, I would just encourage that parent press in and do it anyway. Yeah. And, uh, it might be, especially if the kids are like three or four and, uh, this has become the time to pull sister's hair, you know, then, um, you might want to think about shortening it at first. This is, uh, until, you know, when you lift weights, you don't, uh, you don't go in and immediately lift 300 pounds, right? You You, work up to it. You work up to it. And so it may be that, that, we're gonna have a five-minute devotional tonight, and, and that's we're okay. Pray for each other, and that's and that's fine. But we're building that muscle mm. so that um, we can do more over time. Yeah, maybe
0: another related uh, objection then that parents might have is that they don't feel spiritually mature enough. Uh, they they feel like I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know theology. I'm not gonna be able to answer my kids' questions when they come to me. They've already asked me questions that I'm I felt completely
1: unprepared to answer. What would you say to that, Christian? I don't know is a very good answer um, and then, you know, go do your homework, and and that may be asking a pastor, um, that may be opening a study Bible, and thinking about that passage, and what's there, um, I've been to Bible college and seminary for 10 years, and my kids ask questions that I have no idea. Kids they, ask some really hard theological questions. They are really hard, and, uh, we're reading, my kids are a lot older now, so, It's not humble brag, but we're reading through the book of Romans together uh, with our small group and and our kids are part of that. And uh, kids asked a question about Romans, too. And I went to the commentaries and the commentaries were like, we have no idea. And (laughs) (laughs) I was like, they found that one question, They found that one question. I was (laughs) like, I just went back and said, guess what, guys? No one knows the answer to this question. And and that's okay. I I think it's it's 100 percent. Okay, to to say I don't know and to say I will look this up. I if think some kids parents... ask questions about science. We wouldn't be afraid yeah. uh, to answer in that way, and I don't think we should be afraid to answer in that way about theology or the well, Bible. Well, I was going to say though, I think that is that is sometimes the issue for parents is they feel afraid
0: that if they don't have a good answer, and maybe it's it's a the questions about hmm. you know the justice of God or the mercy of God and things that kind of hit on these big questions the fear would be if I don't have a good answer that can convince my kids that the Bible is true and that God is good and, uh, and all of that, that they're going to start questioning these things. They're, they're going to maybe walk away. Uh, how how should we think about that as
1: parents? Yeah, I would just say, um, man, I have a lot of thoughts about that, Mm. but I, I think first of all, just to remember that Jesus loves children and, um, he welcomed them. Um, and uh because he loves them, we can love them too. And and so in that moment, like lying to kids and or <laughs> you know, trying to make up something yeah. or or pretending you know more than you do, isn't really the most loving yeah. thing. Um and in Matthew eighteen and nineteen when when Jesus warns about putting stumbling blocks before children the kind of stumbling blocks he's talking about um, have nothing to do with not knowing the right answers. And in in fact, the kind of stumbling blocks are, are stumbling blocks that arise from being proud. Uh, The context of Jesus's warning, there are his disciples debating over who is the greatest in, in the kingdom of heaven. Um, And Jesus begins his discussion about the little ones by saying, unless you humble yourself and become like a child, Mm. uh, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I think our interactions with children need to be, um, they just, they need to be shaped and seasoned with that kind of humility, Mm. um, that is willing to say, I don't know when I don't know. Um, But then is also motivated by love for them, the kind of love that Jesus and the kind of um, honor and value that that Jesus bestowed upon children by welcoming them to himself um, and saying, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And so I think moving towards kids' love and honesty and humility um, is actually the thing that will remove a stumbling block and Mm. not the kind of thing that's going to put a stumbling block in their way. The truth is all of us have doubts, right? I mean, so we can't avoid um, having doubts about our faith um, when one of our prayers goes unanswered or when we encounter particularly difficult suffering or we just get to that passage that uh, is, is extra hard. We're going to encounter doubts. What we want to, what we want for our kids is that when they encounter doubts that are childhood doubts, um, that we're not communicating to them. You always have to have the perfect answer. Mm. You always have to know exactly what God is doing in this situation. No, what you want to communicate to kids in that time is that God is good. And even though there's some things about what he's doing or what he's taught us that are a mystery, that we can trust his goodness mm. and the best way to model his goodness um, to your kids is in humility and mm. love. Yeah, that's so good.
0: Uh, so uh, when we talk about discipling kids, whether that's in the context of parents and their families, or even in the context of a church and and trying to teach kids uh, in that place as well, I think it can be really easy for the focus to be on a lot of the things we've been talking about, reading the Bible, prayer, sure, um, yeah, spiritual disciplines in general, um, the importance of theology and evangelism and, and all of sure. that. But in all of that good work, I think sometimes we can maybe miss uh, and start to neglect the core thing, the central thing, which is the gospel, uh, the, the, the good news about Jesus and the, the way that that completely is the foundation for all of this. And I know it's something that you're passionate about. Uh, I wonder if you could speak to that. Have you observed the dynamic where the gospel subtly becomes sort of less central, even as
1: the focus with kids is on all these good things? Yeah, I think it's because teaching kids is just so different from (laughs) teaching adults. You know, you go into an adult Sunday school class and you grab your coffee and you chat about Stanley's surgery he had this week and and you take prayer requests. And then the teacher sits down and you walk through the outline Mm. of the passage, maybe for 45 minutes to an hour and we're thinking about okay, how does this type point to Christ, or or what does this say about the goodness and greatness of God? A kids ministry classroom looks really different <laughs> <laughs> from that. So we're talking coloring sheets and and crafts and moving around the room from from story circle to play centers to those kinds of things. So how do you how do you point to Jesus in the midst of um, you know the schedule where you're always moving and where you're, you're managing behavior issues and you're, you're thinking about those things. Yeah. And I I think our tendency is, um, you know, legalism is our native tongue. And so we have to, we have to fight against always wanting to revert to just telling people what to do Mm. and, um, in a, in a moralistic way. And so I think when we, we teach a Bible story, um, I'm going to be teaching on, on Friday about uh, Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. And um, and when we teach a Bible story like that, I think the first thing we want to do is say Solomon was so wise and God used that wisdom to bless his people. We need to be wise like Solomon. Mm. But it's fascinating when Jesus, the one time, or I think it's Luke 11 and Matthew 12, when Jesus brings up that story, he says nothing about us being wise. Um, he's just talking about the fact that one greater than Solomon is here mm. before you. It's a it's a picture of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so I think we've got to take intentional efforts as we're teaching those stories um, to help kids see um, this is not about them for in, in the first instance. Mm. It's not about them and what they should do. It's about who God is. And what he has done to save through Christ Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That, that's so. It, it's easy to say that. It's
0: hard sometimes to know how to do that in the in the moment. Whether it's it's sitting around the dinner table on a specific story that you're telling, or or maybe just even more day to day. How do you maintain that gospel centeredness in the midst of having to constantly correct your
1: kids or you know the the, the pulling of the hair. You know. Yeah, w- yeah. What does that look like? Um. I try to answer four questions. And so the first question is um, who I want to help my kids identify with the people in the story Mm. who need good news. And so instead of having them identify with the hero Mm. in the story, I want them to identify with the most needy people in the story. And so you think about the story of the bronze serpent in the the wilderness from the book of numbers that um, moses ri- raises up where he raises up the bronze servant so that they'll be healed well the story starts out with um the people wandering through the wilderness and of course they're grumbling and complaining um i have the phrase memorized because it it um <laughs> is so it it means so much to me but they say we have no food we have no water and we hate this miserable food. <laughs> and you're like, I thought you just said you had no food. We hate this miserable food. And it just reminds me of the kids standing. It sounds like kids. There's nothing to eat. Standing in front of the refrigerator, <laughs> right? You open it up and you're like, Mom, there's nothing to eat. And there's meatloaf you can reheat. <laughs> reheat I that. hate this miserable food. You know. So God says there's manna there, and and they're like, Well, we hate this. And it's in that context, the law has already been given. Um, they already know what it means that it means to need to be grateful before their god and where god has shown compassion to them before here he sends judgment for their sin and they begin to die um and it's in that context that the serpent is raised up what what jesus says later just uh when he's talking to nicodemus just as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so Mm -hmm. the son of man will be will be lifted up well when i'm teaching that story i want to help kids not identify with the snake on the pole. Right. (laughs) That's Jesus. (laughs) I don't want them to identify necessarily even with Moses who's interceding and and praying for the people. I want them to see, oh, we complain. I grumbled today. (laughs) You know, I I grumbled on the way to church Mm. this morning. And I think when we identify with those in the story who are most needy, um, it helps us to see second step, what God has done in the story, Mm -hmm. um, for those people. And then to help kids move, the next step down the road is, and how does he do the same thing for us Mm -hmm. in, in Jesus? And how does believing that truth change the way I live? So those are my four questions. The first is, Mm -hmm. uh, who in the story needs the good news? Uh, I got that from my friend, Marty Machowski. The, the second, the next three questions I got from, uh, Bible teacher named Jack Klumpenhauer. Um, but the second, the second question is, uh, what is God doing for his people in the story? The third is how does he do the same thing for us? Only better in Jesus. And then the last is how does believing that, uh, change the way I live? So that's when you finally get to application (laughs) at the end. It it doesn't start there with just be like this person. Um, but it, it begins it also um what i love about that last question is that it reminds us that our obedience always begins with faith Mm -hmm. um our obedience always begins with believing uh who christ is and what he's done and so you know in the classroom environment how do you um how do you not forget that i mean honestly sometimes we do (laughs) like you know that happens but I think um, one thing I would just encourage children's ministry leaders and Sunday school teachers is preparing your lesson, thinking about how Christ is central in that lesson mm-hmm. before you get to Sunday school on Sunday morning. Um, intentionally thinking through a grid like that, maybe, maybe those four questions or, or, or something similar that helps you focus your lesson on how the story points to Christ. Um if that's deep in you, um, before you arrive to Sunday school, then it'll bleed out in Mm. those other in those moments when uh Johnny's difficult. Yeah. And so that's
0: that's so helpful. Well, Jared, maybe as a last question, I wonder if you could speak uh to parents who are listening right now who uh who maybe have kids that have seemingly walked away from the faith or who have expressed really big concerns or reservations or doubts about things and who are, if they were being honest, feeling very afraid, feeling nervous about where all these conversations are going to lead for their kid that they love, a kid that they would love to see follow Christ and love Christ in the church. What, what advice would you offer to a parent listening like right, right
1: now? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, well, I want to encourage you. Um, there's one perfect father in the Bible. God, the father, Mm. and he has prodigal children. And so we shouldn't expect that uh, godly Christian parents who um, are not perfect Mm. (laughs) won't also have prodigal children sometimes. And so sometimes I think in our Christian culture, we've adopted the mentality, if you parent right, your kids won't walk away. Um, and so parents have a lot of shame about that. Um, but having a prodigal child is something that your heavenly father sympathizes with, Mm. um, and he can meet you there in that sympathy. So that's the, the first encouragement I give. I think secondly, um, to remember that some things only come out by prayer and, um, and even before you move to actions and words, um, to move to your needs and to plead uh, with the Holy Spirit for your child's heart. Mm. Um, and then third, I think, um, you know, as far as it depends on you to to pursue a relationship and conversation with your child, begin by listening to their doubts and showing them love. Do not be afraid to speak truth, um, even though that truth may offend but but move toward your child with love and and with a listening heart um and and then on your knees uh open your hands and realize ultimately their their soul is in the in the hands of our loving father Mm. and not in our control
0: yeah that's a good, wise word that can be so hard for us to, to truly believe and accept, but um, that is so helpful, Jared. Thank you so much for talking with us today about kids and uh, how we as parents and uh, together with churches and pastors can uh, be discipling them. Thanks, Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. That was Jared Kennedy on how parents can disciple their children. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Keeping Your Children's Ministry on Mission, Practical Strategies for Discipling the Next Generation. Pick up a print copy of the book for 30% off or the ebook or audiobook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org/plus. That's crossway.org/plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. That helps us spread the word about the show.